It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Gigi Schweikert, Chief Executive Officer of Lightbridge Holdings Group. Gigi is responsible for all aspects of the company's strategy, leadership, governance, and operations, and was instrumental in creating and expanding the franchise systems to cover seven states. Over the next five years, Gigi is preparing to triple the company's size, accelerating growth throughout the Mid-Atlantic region and beyond. She is an international thought leader advancing the quality of early education and childcare. With over 30 years of experience and 18 published books in three languages, Gigi has appeared on CBS, NBC, Fox, and the Wall Street Journal Lunch Hour News. Gigi enjoys reading, writing, and is proud of her greatest achievement, being mother to her four beautiful children. Gigi Schweikert, welcome into the corner office. Thank you so much for having me. I'm extremely excited to be in the corner office. And uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you something funny is that um, I actually, it took me a year to actually physically move into the corner office. Um, <laughs> I was very happy in my own office. And we really actually do have a corner office. And the former CEO who is chairman of the board um, had moved out and it took me a little bit and, and some encouragement to to move over there. All right. Well, I'm glad to hear that and so excited to uh, finally have a chance to chat with you too. And, you know, we're going to talk about your career. I want to hear all the exciting things that are going on at Lightbridge Academy, but we like to start at the beginning. So tell us a little bit about your early family life, where you grew up, brothers and sisters, and what mom and dad did. Yeah. So um, great family life. And I grew up in North Carolina. Um, mm. It's where I was originally born. We moved around a bit. Um, I am the oldest of three with two okay. younger brothers. Right. And my parents were both teachers. And when I was born, they were living in a one room apartment. And wow. my dad said, I've got to do something else to make a little bit more money to support this growing family. Mm -hmm. And so he went into the pharmaceutical industry and sales. And when he retired at age 55, uh, he was vice president of government affairs. And so um, he did a great job of climbing that corporate ladder. It was an incredible role model for myself and my siblings. And so I've had the pleasure of growing up in North Carolina living in Steamboat Springs, Colorado for a bit, mm. living in uh, New York City. Um, but I've spent the majority of my life now living in beautiful, and I will say beautiful New Jersey. It often gets a bad rap, but it's a gorgeous place to be. 
Yeah, fantastic. Well, let's get a little bit more detail about your home life. So you said you moved around a little bit. Uh, did you spend your early formative years in elementary school in North Carolina, or did you move uh, during that time of your life? So the formative years, um, I was in North Carolina for elementary, but I think the most difficult time that I had with moving was when my father made the jump from North Carolina to the corporate office here in New Jersey. And I happened to be a junior in high school at that time. And you can imagine how difficult that was for my dad in making that decision and how difficult that was for me as a teen and um, a growing young adult to be very involved in my high school and so many different things from student council to cheerleading to French National Honor Society and having a nice group of friends as well as um, having a guy that I was very keen on mm. um, and we uh, moved mid-year. It was very hard for me and I spent about 19 days actually at the new high school in New Jersey before I went back to North Carolina to complete my junior year. Um, I would have been, do a little bit of bragging of myself, um, a valedictorian of Myers Park High School if I had graduated, but I'm probably going to be one of the CEOs that one of the few CEOs that you've had on the show that doesn't have a high school diploma. So I moved from 11th grade into um, college, um, a small college, a small girls college where I went into my first year of college. And so while I have my degrees from college, um, I do not have a high school diploma. So it was a difficult time, but it was one of great learning and one of great understanding of what it was what it was like to really see things that were important to me and to be tenacious about what I wanted even at the early age of 17. Right, right. So did you go back and live with family or relatives when you finished that last I year? I did. So oh. I ended up living with my best friend's family for a bit oh. Um, oh. and also with my grandmother um, who wasn't too far from the high school on the weekends. So it was a great opportunity to finish out that 11th grade year and then proceed into college after that summer. How nice. How nice to be able to have that opportunity. Well, there's no need to ask that if you were a good student at school because it sounds like you were <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about some of those extracurricular activities. I know you mentioned quite a few. What did you enjoy? I, um, I, I pride myself on being a, a firstborn overachiever. So um, <laughs> it's, really. it's basically um, a personality disorder issue that I have. So I, I, I have a hard time kind of learning how to relax. Um, but I did a lot of different activities. So um, I think one of the things that I'm proud of is that I had a very easy time kind of meshing with different groups. So while I could kind of hang out with what we called the jocks during that day and and the nerds um, on the science side and math, because I loved that. Um, and what was great about it is I really had a very inclusive opportunity for socialization and peer groups, even in uh, high school. And that was a lovely opportunity for me and one that served me really well when I got my first official job, so to speak, when I worked at the United Nations in New York City. And we can talk about that later because there's a bit of a gap of my my life in between there. But I think um, keeping your eyes wide open to recognize that people have different interests and that generalizations of people 
based on those interests are not always um, correct and that mm-hmm. humans have so many more things that are similar about us than different about us when we really kind of peel back that onion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, learning was obviously a very important part, given that both your parents were teachers, at least when they started out. Did, did you aspire to get into that at some point in time or did that come later? I did, but they refused to let me. So (laughs) what's been, what's interesting is that when I did go off to high school, excuse me, I did go off to college. They wanted me to do something that was going to be a little bit more um, financially lucrative. And because of those good grades, they thought, wow, you know, I think you should do something that has to do with the medical field. Um, Mm. I will, I'll, I'll diverge here for just a second to share with you also that my mother refused to let me, uh, take typing at that time because she didn't want me to be a secretary. Little did she know that computers would come along and that I would write 18 books um, and all hand-packed or either um, I audio uh, write very often. But um, so learning has been a very important piece of that. And they did want me to go into the medical field. So I was going to be a pediatronist or pediatrician. And finally, um, decided that again, I was going to do what I wanted to do. And that was work with young children. So that's kind of what happened. Um, when I finished that business degree, I ended up going to Steamboat Springs after college, uh, told my parents, uh, uh, one of the few lies that I told them that I had a job out there. I did not, but I did get a job at the Kitty Corral, which is the childcare center on the mountain in Steamboat Springs, had the opportunity to take care of infants during the day and also to teach young children how to ski. And that's really how the road to my wanting to be a teacher, being involved in children, giving back and always being in that mode of learning really started um, on the slopes of Steamboat Springs, Colorado. How cool is that? That's great. And uh, university, tell us a little bit about the choices you made there. I know you went to Chapel Hill and then, you know, did some continuing education after that. So um, the education part is interesting. Um, I believe so much in education and Carolina was a great experience. My graduate work at Bang Street, which is really known for early childhood education, was a great experience. Getting my teaching degree at Kane University in New Jersey was a great experience. And all four of my own children have and are, my last one is a junior at the University of Colorado Boulder, have completed their their higher degrees. But I will tell you what my son often tells me is Mm. that college gets in the way of his learning. And (laughs) so I will tell you that while I did do exactly what I was supposed to do in those institutions, um, and there were so many good lessons that had nothing to do with the content and so many great professors who had so much that they wanted to instill upon those they were teaching that I think I've learned more in life mm-hmm. and experience um, yeah. than in what I learned in higher education. What I did learn, though, were good organizational skills, time management, socialization with other people. And I think those skills more than the content um, are what 
are transformative to your success in life. Right, right. Well, what was that first job you took coming out of college? So the first job that I took coming out of college was the one in Steamboat. All right, got it. Cool. Yeah, but I did start working um, very young. I started working at the age of nine. Um, I had a summer camp in my backyard. Uh, the business model was not really good. Um, I only charged 50 cents um, for children to come uh, for the day. Um, but from there, I did a lot of babysitting. And I actually started um, working at a senior center, uh, which is very much like a child care center in many ways, as far as the service concept of it, um, when I was 15. So I've been working all my life. And even when I took off some time to be home with my own children, I recognized that I'm the kind of person that did a lot of work in addition to caring for them, which was a joy and a pleasure by being on boards and participating in volunteer things. So it's always been something that's important to me to keep busy. And I say that I'll work forever. Hmm. And so you mentioned the United Nations uh, earlier, and I know you did some work in childhood care there. Tell us a little bit about how that you know connection came about and in your time in New York City. Yeah, so that's an interesting story, too. So after um, my first experience at Steamboat that first year, um, when the ski season was over, I had the opportunity to work in a child care center at the hospital that was an intergenerational program. So it was a combination of senior program and children's program and so many wonderful intergenerational activities that were there. Um, felt my calling wanting to go back to the East Coast. And, um, and that's when I decided that after being at the hospital in the generational intergenerational program that I would move out to New York city. And there was someone there in steamboat who had a connection at the United Nations mm. and used that opportunity to become a teacher at the United Nations, started my graduate work at bank street college. And when I left there after five years of employment, I was the director of the program. I left wow after those years to, um, I was engaged to move out into the suburbs, um, take another position and to get married. Yeah. Cool. What was it like? I mean, were you working with international, uh, children in that early childhood care or yes. tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Program. So they were children from all over the world. It was wow. absolutely phenomenal for me cool. and yeah. having grown up in a somewhat, um, I would say not very inclusive environment where I was. Mm -hmm. It was yeah. such a great opportunity for me to meet so many different people from different countries with different cultures, different backgrounds. And so it was phenomenal. The children that I served and we served at that program in school came from all over the world. And it was one of the most exciting times of my life. And it was really fun to get to know people in that way. Um, parents were very eager for their children to learn English. So it was a primary English speaking um, educational program. And it was just absolutely, um, as I said, one of the best experiences that I've had. Super. 
Super. And then you went to Johnson Johnson System of Family Centers, correct? That was your next job with Bright Horizons. Tell us a little bit about that transition. That's when uh, you got married, went out to the suburbs, I believe you said. (laughs) Right. So I decided that I wasn't going to commute. And at the time, um, I worked for a company actually called Resources for Child Care Management um, that eventually became Bright Horizons Family Solutions through three different mergers. And I won't go through all of that, but mm-hmm. had the opportunity to work with Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies setting up on-site child care center, which was the first really that was happening during that time. And companies really recognizing how important it was to support their employees in many ways mm-hmm. through child care, through fitness, and also through just having um, supervisors who were sensitive to work-life balance and the productivity that that would gain. So I had the opportunity to work with Johnson & Johnson in setting up their on-site centers, as well as other pharmaceutical companies, banks, um, was Nations Bank at the time, but Bank of America, IBM, hospitals. Um, and it was a wonderful opportunity, again, to use my skill set in early childhood education, but to also broaden it by starting to understand facility design, understanding municipal approvals, understanding what it costs to construct and develop a child care center and participating in that as a project manager. So it was really just really helping me to round out that um, toolbox of skill sets that I had um, from understanding operations to understanding finance to understanding development. And it was a very exciting and fun time. Mm. Fantastic. So uh, let's, you know, advance a little bit. I know that you had some time when you were doing keynote speaking and, uh, you know, did some writing and so forth on your own. Tell us a little bit about that transition before coming to Lightbridge. (laughs) Yeah. So that transition, when I had my first child, it had taken me a few years to get pregnant. So we assumed that having the second child would take a few years as well. It did not. Um, So my first two children are born just a year apart in the same month. And the third came along a couple years later. So when I had the first one, I went back to full work full time. When I had the second, I went back part time. Um, So I was still working in operations three days a week and then at home two days a week, which really because of my personality and the demands of an operational job uh, meant that I was getting two thirds, uh, three, three fifths of my pay and working full time. Um, and then when I found out I was pregnant with my third, I decided that I would stay home, um, raise those children, um, and enjoyed that and started consulting business in early childhood education, as well as writing some books and starting to speak either for companies about early childhood education and, work-life balance, work-life integration, and also mm. working in the early childhood field, helping those who are trying to set up child care centers and also working directly with teachers and administrators on supervision and appropriate practice in the classroom. Cool. Great. And some of the writing you did, tell us about that. So my writing started with just writing because it's fun and journaling and things like that. And then I started writing articles for friends and short little funny things on being a mom, whether they were a paragraph or a page. And 
was sharing those with my friends and they said, oh, wow, these are great. You should publish these. And so I said, okay, let me give it a try. Um, and ended up having the opportunity to get a four book deal with what is now Simon Schuster um, and wrote on parenting. And since then have written books on early childhood education for teachers and for administrators, as well as uh, books on leadership. So, uh, prior to joining Lightbridge Academy, Gigi, what did you know about that organization? So I knew at the time before I joined Lightbridge Academy, it was actually Rainbow Academy. And I knew of the centers. There were about 13 centers. Right. And I knew the founder, Guy Falzerano. I had seen him at some of the local professional development conferences that I had worked as a keynote mm. speaker. And he invited me to do some consulting work. And that's how I got involved with Lightbridge. I really wasn't looking for a job yeah. uh, full time. I was very happy with my consulting work and it really afforded me the opportunity that I needed to raise what we're now for teenagers. But then when they offered me a full-time position, I was extremely excited about it as I had four that were in college. And yeah. uh, so that was a, a, a win for, for all everyone involved. And great, great company um, took the job because of the core values um, that we really live by every day at Lightbridge Academy and because of the founder, Guy Falzerano and the circle of care, um, which are five stakeholders. Um, we're a franchise company, so it's uh, the child in the middle, the community, the owners, the consumers, the parents, um, and the staff or employees. And I knew that it was a company of such care mm. and such integrity that I would never be asked to compromise my integrity and what I feel is right for children and their families and creating a supportive work environment for employees. Um, and so with every decision that we have made in that company, it's been based on how it affects those stakeholders. And it has served us well, especially in times like COVID or any other time that's challenging is to really push into your core values and to push into that circle of care. And that's what really impressed me about that company and continues to impress me. And at night keeps me up at <laughs> um, thinking about it um, because I want to make sure that as we grow and double the number of units that we have, that that core value, that family feel, that circle of care remains intact on every level. And so while I feel very confident about our ability to grow, about our ability to replicate our proven model of success for early care and education for children and their parents. I want to make sure that we choose the right franchisees, that we partner with the right employees mm. who share our vision and who share those core values, which are, I won't go through all of them, but they're, they're so meaningful that really care deeply about people and caring deeply um, means that I'm going to tell you the great things, but it's, I'm going to also care enough about you to tell you when I think you can improve to happiness um, that if we are going to do this job or you're going to be involved in this company as a vendor partner, that we're looking for people who want to be happy, who want to enjoy what they're doing because you're with your work family more than you're with your regular family. And um, so I, uh, I really, 
that's how I know about it and what I know about it and why I took the position. I love it. What, what's the current footprint today? How many uh, academies are there? Yeah. So great question. Um, 65, 65 wow. centers in six states. Uh, we're primarily in the Northeast, um, which is where we started, but we're branching out and have centers that are currently operating in North Carolina and Virginia and Tennessee. We'll be opening soon in Florida. We've awarded franchises in Texas and Ohio and Michigan. And so um, up and down the East Coast um, and then kind of jumping over to Texas and opportunistically, we'll look at some other things in between. But basically, that's where we're headed right now. What are the ages and grades that you serve? Uh, Such a good question, because in early childhood education, Um, We are really working with children from zero to eight years is the true definition of early childhood education. During school holidays and in the summer, we're serving children up to age 12. Um, But we can get children as early as six weeks in New Jersey. Parents are Mm. ready to transition back into the workforce. And so we really take the work that we do very seriously from the point of care and health and safety, as well as the education of these children. Now, is it supplemental when they get to a, you know, the grade school age, or is this a a replacement for what they would normally do during grade school? So typically children will move on to a private parochial or public school, uh, kindergarten. And then, and then, so when you serve, when you're serving kids up to the age of eight, then it's in substitution for grammar school, correct? In other words, they wouldn't normally be also, yeah, going to. Absolutely. So when there's a holiday during spring break or between Christmas and New Year or over the summer, because parents don't just work 180 days a year, which is what the school system operates on, uh, we're there to bridge that gap. Yeah, yeah, awesome, cool. Well, what do you look for when you're looking to hire the people in your organization as well as the franchisees that you bring on board? Wow, so great, great questions. So let's go with the franchisee second and let's start with the employee. The employees that we're looking for are happy people. Hmm. We hire happy and we train for skills. So we ask a lot of interesting questions in our interviews. Things like, if you were a superhero, what type of superhero would you want to be? (laughs) Give us an example of how you've shown someone you really care for them. Tell us how someone could make you very, very happy and relaxed in a service experience such as going to the bank or being at a restaurant or going to a hotel. And so we really want to hear how people innately feel and what their worldview is. Mm -hmm. And then in most cases, not all cases, because many of the positions based on state state regulations require certain um, degrees is that we're able to select people who really do share and who really do have a personality towards being in a service industry. We're also make sure that our employees as well as our franchisees take a culture index, which really shows us how they act, tend to act in the workplace, 
what their true personality is mm. and the difference between those two and the energy they need to use in order to be the person they think they need to be on the job. Cool. So for example, most people think that I am an extreme extrovert. And while I love being around people and talking to you and giving talks is that I don't get my energy from people that tends to take my energy right. and I need to go and recharge before I enter. But a true extrovert, like my daughter, my third daughter gets her energy from being around people. So it's, those are one of the things that we do beyond the higher happy is to see what someone's really like so that we can really build a team. If you can imagine trying to take care of children and having a group of children and a group of teachers in the same classroom, there are a lot of nonverbal cues that are happening mm. between the teachers the child and the teacher. And so it's really important that we understand how those teachers work with other adults. Right. So right. let me move to the second part of your yeah. question, which is the franchisee. Right. So there's some tangible things that we're looking for in a franchisee. We're looking for their business acumen as far as the ability to run a business, um, not necessarily childcare, but knowing how to run a business. Right. And we're also looking for them to have a certain amount of net worth and a certain amount of liquid capital so that they can open a business, whether they're going to get an SBA loan or a conventional loan or Benetrends, or even um, be able to use their own money to capitalize the endeavor of opening and running a childcare center. So those things, and, and obviously being in the location of where we're opening a center. But beyond that, and so those are two things that we look for first, is that we're looking for many of the things that we're looking for the employees. We're looking for people who can follow a process because that's what a franchise model is. It's a proven process. And while we want continuous improvement and we really rely upon franchisees and employees to tell us how we can make that improvement, we also want them to be able to follow the process that we know works. We're also looking for those franchisees who believe in the core values of integrity, of happiness, of caring deeply, of delivering wow customer service. And most importantly, we're looking for people who believe that their why is the service industry, that their why is caring for children. Um, it's kind of a funny story, but really not to me, is that we were doing a discovery day, which is where the franchisee meets the franchisor for an entire day. We spend time together talking about the different aspects of the program. And then at the end of the day and over the next few days, decide if this is a partnership that we want to continue over the course of an awarded franchise agreement, which would be 15 years. Um, and we had a franchisee that met many of the requirements, prospective franchisee, but indicated they didn't like children. <laughs> um, so while it can be an extremely lucrative business, um, I don't think that selecting a franchisee who doesn't like children is probably right, in our best right. interest. So starting with people who really can imagine themselves being in the, in the somewhat organized chaos of being around young children 
Um, and also being able to supervise at a single site, 30 to 40 employees um, and doing a multitude of things at one time um, are the people that we're looking for and those people who do it with a smile on their face. Yeah, fabulous. Well, Gigi, we're just about out of time, but we always have one last question. We always ask our guests and that's what kind of life and career advice you'd give to someone that perhaps, you know, has their sights on their own corner office someday. You know, I have always said this to my children and my dad always said it to me and that is follow your passion and the money will follow and i think that whether and, and money is relative um but i think what i really mean by that is do something that you love because you're going to be doing it if you work for a long time all the time and you don't get to the corner office necessarily because you're trying to climb that corporate ladder. The majority of people who get promoted are promoted not for their technical skills, but for their emotional intelligence, their ability to get along with people, their ability to communicate their vision, their ability to deal with conflict, their ability to get people rowing in the same direction. And if you're passionate about something, you will do anything that you can to make that happen. Well, Gigi Schweikert, CEO of Lightbridge Academy, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.